What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I open the show always saying thank you because gratitude is the mo- one of the most important things in my life. And uh, I don't take it for granted. You guys are the reason we do this show. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Another reason I get to come here to the NRM studios and have a good time once a week for your viewing pleasure is from for great people like uh, Juan Neal, Jake Schreier, and Julian Evans Means of Labels and Logos and Loose Cannon uh, Flagship. And they're going to be hosting the Michigan Sneaker Exchange. If you're into any kind of footwear, you got to get there. It's it's December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, as a matter of fact. And it's at the TCF Center. Actually, for those of you who aren't aware, that's Cobo Hall. Cobo Hall. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of all these corporate sponsors taking over things like Comerica Park, I think, should be called Tiger Stadium. But, you know, if that's what it takes to keep the doors open to host great events like the Michigan Sneaker Exchange, then I guess I'll have to live with it. So, anyway, this event, the Mer- uh, Michigan Sneaker Exchange, is going on at Cobo Hall, TCF Center, on December 7th. Vendors from around the state will be in attendance swapping sneakers and showing off the latest trends in fashion. Again, December 7th, 12 to 6 p.m., 20 bucks online or at the door, and it's at the Cobo Center. For tickets and tables, visit michigansneakerexchange.com, and exchange is the letter X, exchange. So, you know, we got to support what we're doing locally, and these guys are doing it. If you're in any kind of footwear, sneakers, any uh, I know guys who have closets full of boxes of shoes they never even wore before. I don't even understand that. I buy a pair of shoes to skate in or to wear. Uh, I don't understand just having them in your closet, but there's a lot of people into that. So get down there and hang out with Juan, Jake, and Julian, and you might just see me down there. So thank you guys for supporting the drop-in and everything going on here at NRM. Lately, uh, I've been watching a ton of documentaries. And I just happened to come across one about a guy named Clive Davis. If you don't know who he is, make sure to check him out. He started uh, signing artists in the 60s. And this dude was at the forefront. In the 60s, he uh, signed Janis Joplin. He was also all over John Fogarty. And then he kept moving on. And he would find these artists. And dude was a lawyer. He he wasn't a music guy. He was a lawyer. That is punk rock to the hilt. And he ended up finding Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. She would call him on the phone, man, when she had issues. And he blew her up. He, He found some of the most amazing artist Arista Records he founded that he founded Arista Records and at a certain point they said you're too old dude you're too old and they moved him out and guess what he did he went to work for BMG and he found Alicia Keys in a corner bar that's how this dude had the golden ears man and I was so stoked watching this documentary I was blown away and the coolest thing about Clive Davis is not one person had a bad thing to say at one point there was a little bit of controversy with the company that he was operating and he was he was clean he didn't have anything there wasn't even any hint of any wrongdoing and these huge stars would look at him and say 
that's the guy in a suit I can trust. Aretha Franklin on stage saying, I can thank Clive Davis for where I'm at right now. And it was such a rad thing. If you get a chance, watch it. It's called The Music of Our Generation. And dude did it for 40, more than 40 years. He would find what people were going to be listening to over the next decades to come. Amazing. Amazing. And that is a perfect lead-in to my guest today. Because today, I have a gentleman named Tom Mazaway in studio. And this guy, he came from Jersey, comes to Detroit. He's worked for, like, uh, the biggest networks in the city and around Detroit. Dude is an encyclopedia of sports <laughs> information, and he blew me away. I stopped in to see his show uh, a few days ago, and I was just, I was i was on it. I was watching, and I was learning. And and from stats, these are things, I, I, I don't think I could do that. I mean, be able to quote the stats from the games going on that day, the games all week, what's going on, current events of how sport, uh, especially Detroit, sports are changing. Who's getting Who's on the DL? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Uh, Tom does it. He does it. And it is my great honor to introduce you, all of our drop-in audience from across the world, to Mr. Tom Mazaway. Tom, thank you so much for hey. taking the time, brother. Thanks, Carol, for having me in, man. You're a, you're a ball of energy, man. All the time, man. I love it. All the you, time. You gotta, you gotta give me some of that. <laughs> I need some vitamin G. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I get excited coming in here to the studio, and, and I try to uh, get that across to our audience and, and let it resonate that the the way you act, the way you feel, how you are, it is your choice, and I choose to be fired up that's every awesome. minute of every day, man. That's great, man. You gotta. That's something I, a lot of people got to learn, and I'm being the forefront of that. I know you say your life of stoke, and you got to teach me about that, to avoid negative self-talk. And guess what? I'm the king of negative self-talk, and I got to shake that bad habit. Well, a great, I got to shake that bad habit. A great tip I can give, because uh, I used to always look at the negatives of my life, and and I'd sit down with people, and they're like, you know, where are you at in your life? I'm like, complete failure. I am a complete uh, failure, because I would set the bar so high. You yeah. know, I write a book. It's not on the New York Times bestseller list. Failure. You know, make a TV show. It's not all over the world. Failure. Oh, man. And, um, and I, I learned to not always be striving, but take the time to arrive. So as I set goals, I, I celebrate the little the little uh, achievements along the way. I love it. You know what? We're we're trying to find our way here at NRM Screencast. We're coming up with a baby. Yeah. We're coming up with the big boys. You know what? And a lot of times, you get down. Who the heck's listening to us? Who knows if we're around? Blah blah blah. We got to get the word out. And. It'll be a great journey once we all get to, once we get there where we want to be. Yep, yep. That's, that's and, what we got to look forward to. And I think you know another thing that has helped me is I announce events and and uh, MC different things and I played drums in bands and and it didn't matter if there was one person in the audience or there's a thousand. I got to bring it. And with announcing events, I always thought every time I announce an event, even if it's the local skate park that you mm -hmm. know uh, there's 25 people there or it's Tony Hawk that there's Five thousand people there. I'm gonna bring the same energy because the younger gentleman who is skating right now that there's 25 people there. This might be what sets the tone for the rest of his life. This Correct. is his X Games, and I gotta bring that same energy as the MC of the event. Plus, you don't know who's listening to you. Could yeah. be one person for the first time listening to you, and he's the only or she's the only person that you have to 
get your point across to and Ex- sell them. Exactly. Exactly. My little meditation before the show is that exact thing. It said, you know, I just asked for the, the words to just inspire one person who's watching us across the world that they hear or see something that makes them go, you know, I want to be like Maz or I want to yeah. be like G or that's that's cool what they're doing. And they hear the story and they realize it's attainable. I can do that. I can I can do whatever I set my mind to. And both of us sitting here are living proof of that. Amen. So I want to thank you once again, Tom, for Thanks coming for in the me. studio today. You know, I, I, I mentioned in the opening that uh, you came from Jersey. How was it coming up in Jersey for you? Oh, my God, I loved it. You know, that's all I knew growing up there, but I loved it. I grew up in Hudson County, which overlooked New York City you know, on the Hudson River. I mean, I was as close to a New Yorker as you can get for a Jersey boy. I mean, I looked out my parents' window, and you saw the Empire State Building. And every day that I would either walk or drive along that, that, that beautiful landscape, that view of New York, never got old to me. It's still to this day, when I go home, I just, I'm, it's breathtaking to me. I just love the look. I love the big city. And, you know, I'm a city boy. And I came to Michigan in 1993. And it was a different world, let me tell you. I mean, the, the cars you drove, uh, I mean, I was coming from, an, you know, they drove international cars there. They drove foreign cars. Hondas and Toyotas and Hyundai and the whole, the whole gamut. And then when I came here, I'm like, I thought I was in the twilight zone. I really did. I'm like, where the heck am I? But now, I'm an American car driver. I mean, we're the big three. We're the Motor City. You got to do what you got to do here, right? And it's just a new way of life. And you know, I met my wife who's my wife now. I met her in New York. She was a Michigan girl, and that's what brought me here. Right on, yeah. man. Right on. You know, it's a different. it definitely is a different way of life. I uh, have been through New York. I, I didn't spend a ton of time there, a couple days here, a couple days there. But when you come to Detroit, uh, it's a little bit of a slower way of life oh, than yeah. if you're in New York or you're on the West Coast. Uh, many of my imagine. friends, many of my friends who have visited from the West Coast, are like, "Man, you guys are in like slow motion here." <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is the way we live every day, you yeah. know. But when you come from an environment like a big city, the yep. biggest city, uh, it's it's got to be quite a shift. It is. You come here and places are closed. Uh, you know, eight, nine o'clock, ten on the weekend. I'm like, what the heck, what? Where am I? I, mean, I can go out and have a slice of pizza or go have a hot dog and at any time of the time, any time of the day or night. It could be 4 in the morning. I used to be a bar manager. And we close at 4. Last call was 4. You know, we're, time we got out of there, it's almost 6 in the morning. I'm driving home in the daylight. So, yeah, it's a different way of life. It really is. But when I came here, I just, I don't know, I fell in love with Michigan. And Michigan's been very, very good to me. It's been good to me. I well, love it. Well, and you've been here since 93. Yeah, 26 you know, years. In in New Jersey, when you were growing up, how was your high school years? You know, were you were oh, yeah. you uh, awkward? Were you popular? Yeah. Were you the guy? How was that? I'll tell you, it's just the way I am now. Was, I went through high school and had tons of friends, and I had two different types of friends. I had my friends who were the jocks, and I had my friends who were more of the quiet kind of guys. You call them geeks now. <laughs> All right, but when the jocks were doing their thing, I was hanging with the geeks. When the geeks were, you know, inventing uh, soapbox derby cars, I was playing football, basketball, wiffle ball with the boys, and I just loved it. My high school years—I graduated in 1980. Man, I'm ancient. 
I'm ancient, but I marched in the Bicentennial Parade in 1976. We saw the ships come in. You know, it was a big deal. Statue of Liberty being unveiled again back then. It was, it was a wonderful time. And, and in high school, I had so many friends, and I had 600 kids in my class. So it was a big class. So I was kind of shy. I've always been shy, but I always loved, always loved women. Always loved the opposite sex. It's third grade. I remember a girl named Dolores DeRizzo, <laughs> and I had the hots for her in third grade. I love it. And then fourth grade, it was Donna Diaguardi. Oh my God, she's the cheerleader. Oh, Such a, New York she, names. I know, I know. But I couldn't pull, never pull the trigger on asking any girl out or go to a movie or anything like that. And I'm like, no one even knows I'm alive. So when it comes down to it, it was like my senior year, and they had the senior awards. You know, best couple, best smile. You know. Uh, best jock, whatever. I'm like, you had to vote for different events. All of a sudden, they say, Maz, you're up for four, four awards. I'm like, what? I didn't even know anyone knew I was alive, basically. Just, I didn't, I meant, I mean it too. I had no idea. I got voted best dressed. Don't look at me now, please. <laughs> I got best smile, most friendly, and most likely to succeed. I got those four awards out of 600 kids. And I swear to you, I did not even know anyone even knew, you know, Tom Mazaway. And that's why you got him. That's why you Maybe. got him. Because when you're being genuine and authentic <laughs> and you're being yourself and you're not trying to be something to uh, maybe impress everybody else, uh, people recognize that. Authenticity, <laughs> you can't fake that. You know, and I love sports so much. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go out for the football team. And I just hated it. I hated the practice. I, I just. I love the game, but I just hated everything about it. I don't. I didn't like it. I didn't like the jocks. I didn't like those guys. Although I played ball with them, I had fun with them, but I just didn't want to be that. So I wound up quitting, and I became sports editor of the newspaper. <laughs> so I, w I was able to go about it that way. So I kept my passion for sports, and took it to a journalistic uh, part, and kind of took me to where I'm at now. I mean, I've been watching games mostly with my dad growing up, since I was eight years old. And I remember every single game that I watched with my father and what he was, where he was sitting, what we were talking about. And There are games when I see him pop up on NFL Network or ESPN as greatest games, I know exactly where I watched that game. I know exactly what my dad was wearing. I know it just resonated with me. Sports resonated with me. And to this day... I'm just so passionate about it. I just love it so much. It's just, to me, it's an equalizer. You can go to anywhere in the world, and if there's a bar, you can walk in as a loner. If there's a game on, I can sit down next to someone at that bar. Before you know it, we're friends. We're talking. We're laughing about the game. We're talking about stuff. It's the equalizer. It's a wonderful thing. It's phenomenal. There's a lot of bad things that people say about it. You know, these guys get paid, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? If the owners are going to pay them, the owners are making a ton of money. So well, I don't I, care what they make, to be honest with you. I grew up playing bat and ball sports. You know, I started playing hockey at four. Yeah. I played baseball at six. I even tried football when I was in seventh grade, but it just it sucked for me walking into hockey practice in my football gear. Yeah. I, I played the whole year because my mom wouldn't let me quit. Right, you can't quit. But I, I uh, soccer in the park, hockey became my passion. I picked up a skateboard at eleven years old, and that was uh, something I loved to do. Uh, but as far as you're talking about the great equalizer, I think that. 
correct. You are exactly correct. And I think as far as athletes getting paid, what they're getting paid, when you break it down by the numbers, mm-hmm. and, and I've done it before, I don't have them in front of me, but when you look at how many players are actually in the NHL or the NFL or uh, the NBA, ML, MLB, MLB. Yeah. Um, you know, let's just say a number like 300. There's right. 300 total starters in whatever league. That is 300 of the best in the whole world on the planet yeah. that can do one job. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at that like from a professional standpoint as well, if you have the top 300 CEOs, salesmen, those guys are making bank. Oh my god, yeah. They are making serious bank and they never have to look for a job because they're one of 300 that are the best on the planet. These athletes are exactly that. Um, and I I don't have a problem with it. Me neither, man. Yeah. I love I love sport and I love music and music is a, a big passion of mine. I couldn't play an instrument. But I could. I have a good ear. Like you talked about Clive Davis earlier, and he brought Bruce Springsteen to the table. Yep. He brought Billy Joel to the table. A couple of New York and New Jersey guys I bring up. But I mean, what a talent! I mean, to have that kind of talent, that's that's something that I would would love to have. It's Just amazing love to have that. What I a was, great ear. Yeah, I was floored by that. And then when I found out that he, you know, the when he was coming up, everybody either became a doctor or a lawyer, so he chose lawyer. And then out of like because nobody else would take the job, almost <laughs> he got to be put at the front of Columbia Records. Just it's a rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah, he's never, he's never played an instrument. He's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, to see, like I said, people like Aretha Franklin thanking him on stage in front of 50,000 people, or or people like Billy Joel, they show him, yep. saying, man, Clyde, thank you very much. Amen. P- pointing him out in an audience at Madison Square Garden, that's pretty incredible. That's super. So, so back to the star mm. of the show, Mr. Mm. Tom Mazaway. You came to uh, Michigan in '93. Yeah. What brought you to Michigan? Was it a job? What were you doing? Well, I, I met a young lady in New York City at one of the restaurants I was managing. She was going to NYU at the time, and the restaurant I was managing, which was a bar at night, which turned into a dance club, uh, was right in the NYU campus in Greenwich Village. That's how I met my wife, Kathy. Who was from St. Clair Shores, Michigan, and that's where we reside. And uh, here I am, this New York guy, and I ends up like, hey, you know, that's crazy. I love her, man. Whoa, she, wow, that's a Midwest girl. Wow, we, we don't have any of those around here. I mean, we used to, we used to our girls, our Jersey girls, with the big hair, and he was cool, man. And it just turned out great. But then she said, you know what? I can't live here. I asked her to marry me, like just. It was pretty quick, too. She wasn't ready. She didn't finish school yet. I got to go back and finish school. I miss my mom, my brother. She had a small family here, and I come from a huge family in New Jersey. So I tried to keep her in Jersey, and I tried the long-distance relationship for a while. And one day I said, maybe I'll I'll just go to Michigan. I mean, I spent 32 years in New York and New Jersey. Maybe I'll give Michigan a try. Years Were you managing bars and doing that stuff? That was my my specialty. Were you in... Uh, were you in sports media at all no, at that time? Nothing, nothing. It was my dream always to be on the radio. Since listening to Howard Cosell and watching him and all those New York guys, and I listened to WABC Radio, which is 77. Uh, it's one of the 50,000 watt stations in, in America, one of the few. We have WJR here in town. And I would sit on my porch and listen to my transistor radio, literally a transistor radio, and Wait for my dad to come home and, you know, to throw a football with him. Or, you know, I had buddies and stuff, but I just loved listening to my music. I'm like, I just want to be on the radio so bad. 
I mean, I loved the radio. I took it with me everywhere. And I never thought about in Jersey. I just sometimes you just don't go for the things that you you just go through life. And I'm a restaurant manager. I'm a bar manager. I like it. It's it's a cool gig. I'll just keep sticking it out. So that's what I did in New York, but not until I came here to Michigan, till I saw the school Specs Howard. I heard about it. Oh, you can nine months. You could be in the radio in nine months. Oh, maybe I'll give this a try. First of all, I moved here in '93. I didn't want to be in the restaurant business anymore. I'm like, I'm in New York City. I don't want to come here to Detroit, Michigan. I don't. To me, there was back then there was no comparison. New York restaurants, Detroit restaurants. I didn't want to take a step down. I thought it was a step down. That was in my own opinion. So I'm like, it's a Motor City. Maybe I'll go sell cars. Chrysler, Plymouth, like on 10 Mile and Gratiot. I kept showing up until they hired me. They weren't going to hire me. I have no experience, no nothing. I showed up probably four times before they hired me. And this liking to me, she calls, she got a kick out of me. And she was like, why don't you interview this guy? And the guy's like, no, nah, no, the guy's from New Jersey. What the hell does he know about the cars, blah, blah, blah. She got an interview for me. And I got the gig. And I, I liked it. I liked it. And it was a summer day. It was uh, like in July. And I was 100 degrees outside. I'm wearing a suit. I'm moving like 18 cars to get one car for the senior citizen that came in. And so, you know, on a deal, the lady's going to go down there. So it was very frustrating for me. I'm like, I don't think I could do this for my whole for Specs Howard. So I tell my fiance at the time, I'm like, you want to go with me and, and see what the school's about? She's like, all right, let's give it a shot. So we went one night after work to that place. And I'm 32 years old at the time. Well, and that's what that's a point I want our, our viewers to get is, is uh, uh, Maz was 32. Yeah. It's never, never too late to make a shift in your nope. life. If you're not doing what you love, never too late. And you can find the time, you can find the money. And you can find the support. I guarantee it if you show passion. And that's exactly what we're going to get into right now. Facts and, and most most people in the Metro Detroit area, that's the first place. I mean, I heard oh, yeah. it my whole life. Of course. You know, Specs Howard. So you decide to make a visit to Specs. I do. I take a visit there, and I'm like, I'll be five miles to live by Kathy. Ten hour drive. Ten hours plus. Yeah. And she's like, going to give me my master's opportunity is in northern Michigan. I it's thought like you northern were going to say Jersey, dude. Isn't that something? No. But <laughs> it was in northern Michigan. Michigan, in Marquette. So here I am. I move here. Nobody. I got nobody except you know people that I met through Kathy and great friends. But I'm like, okay, this is where you're supposed to be. All right, you go and do your thing. I'm going to get in radio. She's like, go for it. We weren't married. We didn't have kids. Nothing. Go for it. And I said to them, look, I want to do the school. Would you mind if I worked here part-time? Oh, no, you got to be here full-time, blah, 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 which is horse crap, because they have no idea what they're doing. They're, like, they're so ass-backwards in the auto dealerships, the way they work these poor state here, these salespeople. That's why there's such a huge turner, turnover, because they suck the locked in four doors for all those hours. Well, and I just read a great quote that you fall down, heaven forbid, you fall down dead, they're going to replace you. Yeah. But most people, get, for some reason, couldn't show up for the rest of your life, they'll just replace you. Exactly. You have to remember that. You have to keep it in, in perspective. All right. I guess I'll give you my two weeks' notice and call it a day. So I did. I went to start at like 8 in the morning. So I drove out to Southfield from, from Detroit and uh, started class. I'm the oldest guy in the class. They called me Uncle Tommy. You know, with, with fake, you know, DJing and learning and all this, how to write for broadcast. You had to learn how to write. 
It's literally you're writing the way you want to talk. So on the teleprompter for the TV, uh, it's the way they want you to say the words. And it's just a lot of great teachers and heard a lot of good stuff. So they tell you, when you're in school here, Idaho or whatever, but they're going to get you at least a gig. But yeah, they, they, said, they didn't tell you where. They didn't tell you where. We'll place you. We'll place you. <laughs> so they say it's probably best if you get an internship in the meantime. So I did. So I figured out, where the heck am I going to go? I, I see this big station, WJR, and I read about this guy, Mitch Album, who I've been reading for a while. Big sports writer, blah, blah, blah. He's going to start a new show on WJR. This is 1996 now. January of 96. Exactly. And he's still on the air, by the way. Longest-running show in Detroit. At ni- in 96, mm-hmm. was he published yet? Was he the no, Mitch he album that nope. I, I know? Nope. He did not have a book up yet. He did have just uh, some radio shows, and he was starting to make his move up that way. He was a columnist for the Free Press, and uh, he made his move into radio. This was going to be like his first radio show. He was doing sports. Matter of fact... Buzzy uh, Van Houten that works here with us here at NRM was one of the guys that kind of put Mitch on on the uh, path to sports. He had hired him at the station uh, WLLZ back in the day, Wheels, with Ken Calvert and all those guys. He became a sports guy. So Mitch kind of found his way, and now he's going to get his own show on WJR. So I talked to uh, the powers that be at Specs. I'm like, can you get me in an interview with WJR and see if I can get on with Mitch? They're like, okay. So I went down there to the Fisher Building, and I was like, wow, the Fisher Building. Incredible architecture. Incredible. I mean, I'm a New York guy, and I'm looking at all these beautiful Empire State. Nothing, I mean, this place, nothing holds a candle to the Fisher Building, if you ask me. One of the most beautiful buildings in the city of Detroit. Yeah, I think I think in the country, if you mm-hmm. ask me. I think it's just outstanding. It's beautiful. So I'm like, wow, I'd love to work here. So I go upstairs to the 22nd floor on these golden elevators, and I come out, and I'm waiting in the lobby. They call me in. I do an interview. Look, we can give you, a, you know, a gig here. Our show starts at three in the afternoon. It goes till six. Uh, can you be here for that time? So I'm doing my homework, my uh, stuff in my head. I'm like, all right, I got to go to school at eight. They want me there. They want me at uh, Mitch's show like by one or two, so you can prep and do all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Meanwhile, I don't even have a job yet because I just left the dealership. So I'm gonna go to school, spend money on that. Go work an internship for free, so I got to find a gig. So I went out and I just got a waiter's job. I mean, I was a terrific waiter back in the day. If I have to pat myself on the back, I really was. I mean, I worked my way up from dishwasher to busboy to waiter to head waiter to maitre d to general manager. I mean, well, I did it all. And I'm going to tell you, you're, uh, the one thing you said, I have to say you're full of crap. Uh, a little while ago, you said you were shy. All of the professions that you have talked about thus far, being a salesman, being in radio, being a waiter. I was shy with girls. Okay, because (laughs) you said you were shy, and I'm just thinking, what are you talking about? I was shy with girls. Okay. I loved them, and I get along with them because I come from a family of women. I have four sisters, and I have three daughters. I've had nothing but women in my life, so I, I know how to get around. I know my way around the ladies in that aspect. But romantically, I was, you know, I was a, I was an idiot. I understand. I, I completely understand. So you get the gig with Mitch Albin. I get the gig with Mitch Albin. I go get a waiter's job at night near home in Gross Point. So I do my thing. I do my morning shift at, at the uh, at Specs Howard, and then I drive right down to the Fisher Building. I go upstairs and I work from two 
to when the show finished. Uh, some days I had to leave early for, for work. You know, they understood. It was great. I worked my way around, and before you know it, four or five months in, they were like, "Oh, Tommy, Mitch really loves you." Blah blah blah. We're gonna we're gonna hire you as an associate producer. How, how would you like that? I'm like, of course, I would love it. And it still allowed me to have time to still do the waitering job because I needed it. So I graduate Specs Howard. Now I've got a part-time gig at WJR making nothing, you know, 10 bucks an hour maybe it was. And I was a waiter. And WJR, uh, for you folks around the world, was one of the, is still to this it day, is. one of the premier and trusted networks in and around Southeastern Michigan. No so doubt. It, in, the, in the country. Yeah, it wasn't just like this, like, podunk, like, no. corner kind of network. This is a major deal. Yeah. So now my classmates are getting some gigs. One guy got a gig up in. Uh, Mount Clemens, not Mount Clemens, uh, Mount Pleasant, out by CMU. He got a little radio nighttime gig, reading the funeral, reading the uh, the people that died. I mean, there were so many things that you could do in radio back then. And if you go to these small stations, they'll just have you read whatever. You read the farm report. You read whatever. So everyone's working on all these little podunk places, and I'm in here in Detroit. All right, I got a gig in Detroit. Major market. Major market. Not not making anything, not doing anything, but I'm finding honing my craft. And before you know it, uh, comes November of that same year of '96, and the sports director's name's Chuck Swirsky. He's the voice of the Chicago Bulls to this day. He came up to me. He's like, "Maz, I love your passion. Uh, I'm gonna have an opening in the sports department. Would you be interested in a full time job?" I'm like, "Yeah, are we kidding? I almost fainted. Sports department? Yeah." I'll take it. I don't even know what the hell he was paying me. So we went around the, the whole spiel. I went and got my official interview with the program director. His name was Al Mayers. Came in from Boston. It was his first year uh, with JR. All right, we're going to hire you, Tommy. 20 grand. 20,000. That was going to be my salary. 20 grand. I was 30, let's see, it was 1996. I was 34. 20 grand. I made that like, you know. Ten years prior to that, I was making twenty grand, so I'm like, I'll take it. Well, that's what I'm going to live on. But now I couldn't do the waitering job anymore. I couldn't do any of that. I had to just depend on that salary. I didn't even think twice about it. I was in like a pig in mud. Well, one of the things too that's so rad is is as you you you've been uh, documenting your life from Jersey and what you love to do, uh, it, the sports thing was always always in in the background. <laughs> Even when you were you were a waiter or you were going to sell cars, yep. uh, it was always there. And once you got the opportunity, just the, the door opened this much yeah. to to work for free, uh, somebody recognized your passion. Yeah, and that that is is such an important point of this portion of our story with Mr. Tom Mazaway here in the NRM studios because when you're passionate about something, it shows. For me, I was never the best skateboarder, but I loved what I was doing and people mm -hmm. could tell. And 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 I think that is the reason I've had a 20-year career in what I do. Awesome. And and you're explaining the exact same thing. Somebody you don't even know or no. maybe know in passing said, I love your passion. We want to hire you. Yep. Just it was an amazing, amazing happening. And I'll never forget it. And I always still thank Chuck to this day, and we're still friends. So before you know it, I'm a producer for this new show, this show that's called Sports Rap. Sports Rap was the first sports talk show in the Midwest, and New York had WFAN at the time, which was the first sports station in the whole country. And that's what I listened to on my way to Michigan, on my long drive, when I left my dad in my rearview mirror with my mattress on the, 
on my uh, roof and the whole nine yards. And I listened to 10 hours of New York sports talk until it died out. I couldn't hear it anymore on Route 80. So here I am at WJR, going to be at Sports Rap. Frank Beckman was the uh, original host of Sports Rap. Frank Beckman is a legend. He's a legend here in town. And he was the voice of the Tigers at the time and the voice of the Michigan Wolverines. And I know he called uh, Lion Games prior to that when WJR had that. So here I am mixing and hobnobbing with all these guys. And I'm like, wow, I'm actually you know a part of the team now. And before you know it, I worked my way up. And I'm doing a producing of Sports Rap, which is amazing. And uh, Chuck wound up leaving to become the voice of this new Toronto Raptors team, who just won the who just won the NBA championship. But their first year, Chuck became the voice, so he left WJR, and Dan Dickerson and myself were there. Dan Dickerson's the voice of the Tigers, and Steve Courtney was hired. Steve Courtney's still at WJR doing stuff, and they had uh, some great broadcasters like Paul Chapman and. He was doing uh, Red Wing hockey and stuff like that. All these great guys working at WJR, and I'm their producer. And I know my stuff because, like you said, sports is my passion. So I would have to book guests for this show. So I would have to hustle around. And before you know it, I had a Rolodex. They used to call it Rolodex. Your phone numbers. Email list uh, for yes, those of you list. under 30. Yep. Uh, you know, this thick of people to call. And I was booking the show, and it was sounding great. And, you know, Maz, maybe you can do... Michigan sports with us now. They had the Michigan Wolverines. They made me the host of the Michigan football program. I was the studio host. I did the pregame. I did the break-ins during the game for the scores. You heard me at Mr. Joe's the other day doing the scores. I mean, that's a passion of mine. That's that, that's that's like in my blood. Like I know the players. I know, you know, I just know the game, and it just comes out. It's it's the easiest thing for me to do scoreboard updates and stuff like that, and I loved it. So I'm doing Michigan football. And I'm doing sports rap. And then Michigan basketball comes. We want you to do that, too. And, you know, it's unbelievable. The Fab Five had just left school and at Michigan. It was as big a program as you're going to get in the country. And here I am doing stuff for it. And I'm traveling with the teams. And we're going to the Rose Bowl. And I'm going to the Citrus Bowl. And I'm going to Super Bowls. And I'm going to the Kentucky Derby and the World Series and the NBA. You couldn't. There's no possible way I could have done this as a kid. I was a dream of mine. I cried when I went to my first Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl 33. It was in Miami. It was the Atlanta Falcons and the Denver Broncos. And when they did that national anthem, and I was standing in that stadium, and I'm sitting with the media, all these guys that are on TV around me, I'm like, holy crow, look where I'm at. And I just couldn't help myself. I start crying. I, I just, the Super Bowl to me is the pinnacle. Of everything, I loved the Super Bowl. I've been watching the Super Bowl since Super Bowl Five. We're up to Super Bowl Fifty Four now, so I haven't missed one in almost fifty years. I can't believe I, you know I'm thinking about it that long. But to do to go to that first Super Bowl really sent chills. I can't explain how how it felt. Well, and it's probably I like you going to see an X Games or an Olympic. Well, and I love I love that you mentioned that that it, it, it touched you that much emotionally because a lot of times um, you know when I was talking earlier about striving and, and never arriving a lot of times we don't take the time to enjoy the moment and mm. and to be doing that and, and sit there for a minute and say geez look who I'm around right now you yeah. know I could have never predicted this ten years ago five years ago twenty years ago and here I am I'm gonna enjoy this moment and that's so important in life it certainly is it certainly is and like, to go to these sporting events just means a lot to me and and to share them with my family and 
It's wonderful. And they got married in 1998, and then we started having kids in 2002. I've got three girls, and I'm trying my best to make them all sports fans. They're on the peripheral. They know a little of everything. They like to, Some know more than others. Some don't really care, but they'll always do it for their dad. I'm like, come on, watch this game with me. Come watch this inning with me. Girls, and I'll pause it. I'll pause the TV. Come watch this play. Come look. And you know what? I'm hoping they're going to remember that You know when I'm not around anymore. And I think I think they will. I'm sure they I will. I think they will. I'm sure they will. Now, is that Super Bowl the the your number one moment? Oh, in, yeah. in in your uh, oh, yeah. in your career so far. No question. So they, far, you see, I say so I know, far. I like that. There's always yet. I like that. Always yet. I still want to go. I mean, I've been to four. I've been to five. If I can go every year, I would. Going to spring training to see the Tigers. What a thrill that was to leave the crappy weather of Michigan and head and down to, go to Lakeland. Go to Lakeland and uh, just hang out. And I did a fantasy camp down there. And I know, I know, baseball mainly is Jess Monticello. He does all of that, and he's going to go on a, on a little baseball trip to do that and to put a Tiger uniform on. And I wasn't a Tiger fan growing up. I was a Yankee fan, a Mets fan. But when I came to Detroit, one of my favorite stadiums growing up was Tiger Stadium. It was because of the '71 All Star Game played in Detroit. The greatest all-star game ever had the most hall, future Hall of Famers on that field at once. It's still to this day, it's 2019. No, no game will touch that game. And I'm like, I gotta go to that stadium. So the first thing I did when I moved here, the first thing, I drove in. The next day, my I, my fiance said, I'm like, let's go. I want to go see Michigan Stadium. I want to go see Tiger Stadium. I want to go see the Joe Louis Arena. Those were the first three things I wanted to do in Detroit. So I go to, she drives me to Ann Arbor. I get out of the car and I'm looking at this bowl in the, in the hole. It's a bowl in a hole. That's what you know, the big house is. It's a little bit unassuming when you it pull is. up because when you walk you're, up, expecting, I'm like, this is it? you're expecting yeah, up there. It's in the ground. And it's all under yeah. the ground, yeah. So I walk in and you know what? I walked in. The usher let me in. And, and, my, and uh, Kathy says, hey, this is my guy, my boyfriend. He just moved here from New Jersey. Oh, come on in. I walked on that field. I sat on that field, and I just, you know, I watched so many games on ABC, Channel 7. I heard Keith Jackson calling the games, and I'm always a big announcer guy, always loved it, and Michigan Stadium. That's how I, I loved Michigan since I was a kid, because in New York, there was no big colleges to root for. I mean, you root for St. John, you root for Villanova, I mean, Villanova's in Philly, but you root for St. John, you root for Seton Hall, but they weren't big-time schools. In football, Michigan was the you saw them almost every Saturday. So here I am as a Jersey boy, and I'm like, wow, I'm a Michigan fan. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to come to Michigan. This it's selfish, you know. I met a girl, but I love the sports of Michigan. Well, Bo Schembechler, either yeah. you loved him or you didn't, yeah. but he was definitely an enigmatic character, and and made you really. You could tell he loved what he was doing oh, God. when you, know you would see Bo on the sideline. And I wind up. Producing his show for six years at WJR, the Brandy and Bo show. So I'm rubbing elbows with Bo Schembechler. I didn't even bring that up before. And Bo Schembechler was the coach uh, at the University of Michigan forever. Forever. He, he, he is Michigan. Yes, to definitely. To this day, he is Michigan. So I digress. I go to Tiger Stadium and I'm like, wow, this is the place. I, I cannot believe I'm here at Tiger Stadium. And it's to this day, it's still my favorite stadium. And I love Yankee Stadium and I love all my stadiums. But Tiger Stadium means a lot to me. It was just because of that 71 All-Star game, and I fell in love with baseball, and I fell in love with that stadium. So to be here in that town, in this town, and to go to a game there and to like 
wind up calling games there and sitting in the, the we were the last people out of Tiger Stadium when they closed it at the end of September of 99 when they beat the Royals as the final game at Tiger Stadium. Myself, Dan Dickerson, and Steve Courtney. We were the last three guys, besides the players who were in the clubhouse. We were the last three players, the last three guys walking out of that stadium. I mean, we basically shut the lights on Tiger Stadium. And my buddy Dan, who's now the voice, always wanted to know exactly how many feet it was to dead center field. He didn't believe whatever it said, 430 feet or whatever. Yeah. He stepped it from, from, from home plate. He did every single step out to, out to center field. It was like three grown men, but we were kids. And we just hanging out there. I never wanted to leave. I was like laying on the ground, looking up at the, it was a beautiful night. I didn't want to leave. And that, that's as silly as it sounds, you know, those little those stadiums and those announcers, I, you know, I, I'll never forget them and I always hear them in my head. Well, Constantly. once again, once again, a lot of the events that that you're talking about that you got to be a part of are, are larger than life. I mean, a Super Bowl is almost larger than life. Uh, spending the last moments in Tiger Stadium, yeah. which had changed people's lives. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 70 years, 80 years that place has been there, from yeah. the Lions playing there to all the great moments with the Tigers, to everything that has gone on there, Amen. to be one of the last people to ever be in there. But again, I want to go back to living in the moment. You you took the time mm -hmm. to enjoy the moment, and and that is so important, so important. And you know, 24 hours a day, I'm sure your brain's going on sports, but you gotta, you gotta take some time to wind down. And I know you're a movie guy. Oh, uh, I love it. You know what got and you into TV. the movies? And I, I, I know you. TV. You know TV and movies. You you sent me a picture of like the old old Batman, which yeah. I love. That's, I love that's I love my the guy. villains. I love the villains oh. in the old Batmans, the Riddler and the and and I mean King Tut. The Joker, the whole nine yards. There's not anyone in the country that could go one on one with me for Batman 1966. Oh, Cesar Romero was incredible. <laughs> he wouldn't shave his mustache. Uh, that's uh, that's. He just put they put the, the, the makeup over his mustache because yeah. he was a suave guy in the movies. Yeah. I'm not shaving my mustache for this show. It's and not going to be around. Yeah, it was around for a long time. Yeah, a lot and of episodes, two episodes a week, and I watched them. Two episodes, Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday night and Wednesday night of every week, Batman was on. And so now, when you're enjoying uh, TVs and movies, uh, yeah. does do you shut off the sports for that oh, half God, hour yeah. for that two hours? Oh, I don't. Every night I go to bed, I have a TV in the bedroom. A lot of people don't have that, but I do. I have Seinfeld on. Jerry Seinfeld. That's my guy. That's my show. That's my all-time favorite show, and I watch it or listen to it. I just because I'm going to bed, I'm sleeping. I don't even have to watch it. I just hear it, and I'm, I'm, I know the scenes. I mean, I got the scenes in my head, and I'm going to bed, and it puts me to, puts me in a good mood. I fall asleep, laughing to Seinfeld, and I'll wake up, uh, you know, an hour later, and the lights it'll shine, and I just shut, shut the TV, reach over, shut the TV. But I went to bed, watching Seinfeld. I watch Me TV, which is called Memorable TV. Oh yeah, I love it. I watch it all the time. If you look, if I bring up my on my screen right now what I have on my VCR, my VCR, my DVR, I'm gonna see if I can find it for you. See, I you, was digging Andy Griffith and shows uh, yeah. like that, and uh, MeTV brings all it those brings back. it all back. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, from the monsters, even Night Court and different I kinds of it. things like the that. The monsters aren't on right now, which I'm mad about, but I have the whole series at home. But I like it when it's on TV, so you can just tape it and watch it at your leisure. I got the Adams Family on there. I got Mr. Ed, Leave It to Beaver, Dennis the Menace. My kids won't watch any of those with me. None. 
It's black and white. They don't want anything to do with it. Dad, what are you what are you watching this stuff for? But I li- my wife even shakes her head at me. I mean, I'm sure everyone shakes their head at me, but I like watching the old stuff. I just do. There's very few other shows that I even enjoy that are from today. Well, that's I mean, what I was going to ask. Is there any new TV that, that you'll take an hour to sit oh, down God, and watch? Oh, God, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff, like on Netflix and Amazon. They have the great series. And I was a huge Breaking Bad fan. Very I interesting loved, show. Love Breaking Bad. I think it's one of the greatest shows of all time. And that follows up with Better Call Saul. That show is hilarious. Is hilarious. It's awesome. And they just came up with the movie. From the continuation from Breaking Bad, and it was the story of how Jesse Pinkman survived that night and how he went on with his life because, you know, Walter White was the main character and he, you saw how he, and I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but you know, Walter White dies at the end of Breaking Bad and it goes away and you see Jesse taken off in this El Camino, blasting through this concentration camp that he was held prisoner at. And that's where the movie El Camino takes over, and okay. it's wonderful. I mean, if you haven't watched it, Harold, I, I highly recommend it. And I was always a big gangster guy. I still am. So I love The Sopranos. And I watched The Godfather probably, no, I'm not kidding, probably 75 times each, Godfather 1 and 2. I know it well. And if it's on TV and I'm flipping channels at the end of the night and I'm ready for bed, if it's on, I'm screwed. Because I can't shut it off. I have to watch it, even though I've watched it a thousand times. I and like, it's three hours long. I got to keep watching it. I like The Untouchables with Kevin Costner. That I thought great. that was a great movie. And Goodfellas is good, even though I, good. I think they had the the record for the most f words. It's like oh, two hundred and twelve. Yes. I think sure. it's two hundred and twelve. Oh. They had the record. But those two gangster <laughs> movies are my personal favorite. And there's some good ones out now that I, I want to go see. There's a, a one that's called I forgot something with Brooklyn. Uh, that's out now, and it's supposed to be really good. Did you ever watch L.A. Confidential back mm-hmm. in the day? It's supposed to be L.A. Confidential and Rain Man mixed together. Nice. Yeah, so it's almost three hours long. So I got to find time in my day to go fit a three-hour movie in. Maybe tomorrow I can squeeze one in, but I'll see. But I like that kind of movie, and I like feel-good movies. I like Forrest Gump. And I like you know Rain Man stuff like that. I just I love TV. I love movies. Maybe it's a lazy man's way, but that's me. You know, that's we all me. have to find. Um what it is that we we need to to unwind to take time just for ourselves yeah. for me it could be skateboarding drawing pictures whatever but yeah. so many people that i i come across uh, they don't have a hobby. They don't have something where they can shut off life for a minute. Yeah. And I'm not saying avoid life. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying take the time, if it's a half hour, if it's an hour, if it's three hours to watch a movie, sit down and do something just for you for no other reason than to unwind and decompress. Yep. So important. So important. Now, I mean, you know, obviously. I, laugh, I still listen to Casey Kasem's uh, countdown on Sirius on you know seventies. I still every Saturday and Sunday I'm, I'm listening to it, and that's people, fun. People, people are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, you know, I, this past weekend I cleaned the garage out because you got to clean the garage once in a while, and I got the whole top forty in from October thirty first, nineteen seventy. I could have, and I loved every single song, and I was like, wow, Michael, the Jacksons were number one, number one that week, or. That's who it was. They, they, uh, I'll be there. I think was number one. But that's <laughs> so end. much. Fun. I loved it. It brings back. It just brings back my childhood. It just does. When I hear songs, that's why I listen to the older stations. I'm, I'm not into the hip hop and rap and all of that. My kids are into. I like listening to my old stuff, and that makes me an old man. So be it. I don't care. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, those Casey Kasem's, uh, the top 40s, I grew up on that. You know, I, in the early 80s, that mm-hmm. was what we listened to to see, yeah. you know, John Cougar and Started all that kind of stuff. Started in 1970. But it's so yeah. incredible when it, it it comes on now, and it does. It takes you back there. For me, I hear Glenn Campbell, and I think when I'm six the years old, Cowboy. walking around the house toothless because <laughs> I had my teeth broken out most of my childhood, singing Rhinestone Cowboy, uh, and it was comedy. Uh, that's that is uh, Casey Kasem did that. There was something special with. And me. then he became the voice of Shaggy on uh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> he is Shaggy. Yeah. My kids always love Scooby Doo. I'm like, hey, there's Shaggy. You know, they don't care. <laughs> but, they, but they know if Casey's on, they're not changing the channel. Dad's got the channel on. That's it. Get off of it. <laughs> now, you bring up your family, and, and I know they're very important to you. And that's oh. got to take a ton of time. Oh, uh, God. Uh, with three girls, I mean, how, I do, how do you even how do you even find time to breathe? I know they were at uh, at Mr. Joe's they to were. check out your show. They came. How do you find time for all of it, Tom? It's it's a, it's a challenge. Being a parent is a challenge. But it's, to me, I was put on the earth to be a dad. It's the greatest thing I do. I mean it. Take everything else away from me. If I have my girls, I'm I'm like a millionaire. And where time. are they at in ages today? Yeah. Lily's 17, Abby's 15, and Maddie's 12. So, so do I got you have one a, left do in you have a, grammar school. Like a loaded shotgun next to I the don't, door? I don't, but you know what? I got, I got my eye out. Don't forget, I had four sisters. I got a good I got a good eye and I got I remember sitting on the porch with my dad and my sisters were getting, you know, having a date and we were waiting for the guy to pull up, and my future brother-in-law, Steve, pulled up one time to take my sister Susan out, and my dad fixed him up with her. My dad. My dad was a hostess cake salesman. Twinkie, the whole nine yards, got up at three in the morning, drove his hostess cake truck, delivered this drug, delivered, not drugs, <laughs> delivered his uh, <laughs> delivered his Twinkies. They were drugs to me. I ate too many of them. So he meets this young guy, Steve, who's just starting in the, in the hostess business, and he's like, and he really liked them. So my dad says, hey, why don't you go out with my daughter? So Steve's like, really nice guy, and he doesn't want to hurt my dad's feelings. He's like, I don't know, Sammy. Uh, what does she look like? <laughs> so dad gives him a picture. He's like, oh, all right. So he comes over, and he's got this, uh, he's in this white IROC he drives, this Trans Am IROC with the uh, Indianapolis 500 stickers on it and stuff. And He's this Italian red guy. Red flags, red oh, flags. He's this Italian guy from, uh, I forgot what part of uh, the neighborhood he was from, but he comes out, he's got his white pants on, his white shirt, the grease back hair, and uh, he comes out, and I'm sitting on the porch with my dad, and you know, my dad had already known him, so it was funny. I mean, we used to do that to a lot of my sister's boyfriends, just sit out on the porch, or if I knew my sister came home. And I know they were on the front porch. I would like flash the lights. <laughs> I would like I would go out of my way to be a to be a ball buster. That's just that's just the way I was. That's the way I grew up, and that's the way my sisters grew up. And I I think they they tell you for the most part I was I was a good brother. So right I, I got that same feeling for my my daughters. You know I just want them to have to be good to people. I always tell them, you guys are good students. My daughter Lily's a really good student. Abby, not as good as her. Maddie. She's my big troublemaker. I know she's going to be my troublemaker. But I tell them, I don't care about your report cards. I really don't. My wife does, though. I'm like, I just, I swear to you, I just want you to be nice to people. That's all I want. I want you to respect people. I want you to respect your elders. I want you to be nice. I don't want you talking about anybody. I don't want any of that crap. That's all I want. If you do that for me, I'm the proudest dad. It doesn't cost anything to be no. nice to people. No. Dead. Kindness don't does not either. cost a dime. I hate when people talk about people. I really dislike that. 
then that's just the way I've been brought up. That's just the way I want to bring my it's, girls up. It, it, again, it doesn't cost anything. And and you don't have to you don't have to be creating drama. You don't have to talk. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. It happens though. Yeah, it especially does. Especially now in this day and age, these phones at the click of a mouse. These or, phones, or, man. These phones. Yeah. Like when we were kids, when I was a kid, I'll go back to when I was a kid. And let's say you didn't get invited to a party. We didn't know about it. For we might not have never found out we weren't invited to that party. These kids know instantly what's going on, and they're never off. In other words, when you say goodbye to your friends Friday at school, maybe you leave them at the football game at night, you say goodbye, and you might see them tomorrow, you might ride bikes or whatever, back in our day. Now they know every single second of what each other is doing. And there's always someone going to be hurt. There's always hurt feelings constantly. And it's because of it's the, it's an everyday texting and social media and all of that. And people insult me constantly on Instagram. Imagine what are you wearing that for? You look like a. You know, like this, you look like that. It, I would never, and I always write, didn't your mom ever say, you know, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all? I mean, I live by that. These people don't. Most of these people don't. They got to get their, vo- you know, their, their keyboard cowboys, man. They just get out there and they want to be heard. Well, and that's I, what social media is doing these days. I was very fortunate because I invo- evolved, and it took years to get to the point where I see somebody who maybe. I, I can't say I don't agree with, but they're doing things a little different than me. Yeah. I'm like, I, I give them props because they're doing their thing. So you know, whatever makes them comfortable, they're doing their thing. Whatever color your hair is, how you cut it, what you're wearing, I don't really care, man. Let's just I do, do your thing and don't infringe on anybody else's rights. It's pretty freaking easy. I do we not could do care. A, we could do a whole series of shows on that. Amen. But I, 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 we're coming down to the last few minutes. I want to talk about what you're doing now, because you're blowing up here at NRM. I, yeah. I saw you at Mr. Joe's yesterday, and the, the crowd was pretty fired up. Uh, we're doing all right. You know, we'll find a, it our way. We'll you find it good, our way. You having a good time, though? I'm having a good time. You know what? Uh, you want it to be perfect, and like you said, I'm my worst critic. You're your worst critic. You want it to be you know, right on. You want it to be fun and listenable and you want people to be involved and i got a lot got a lot of great people here working at nrm and they're all they all want that and i've been around the block a few times 23 years plus in this in this business and with the biggest the biggest in detroit you, you get kicked in the teeth a lot too man you know as good as you can do as good a job as you do there's always going to be someone that comes in cheaper and as you get older you were talking about clive davis getting kicked out of his own company because he was old it happens and you know what? You just got to accept it. And it's not easy to accept. Sometimes uh, when your time is up at a place and they're going to bring in the kid from Specs Howard that I used to be. Never was a kid, though. I was a grown adult at that time. But those kids at Specs Howard are going to come in and work for that twenty grand now that I worked for back in 1996 at WJR. And I didn't think about the poor guy that I was replacing back then. But I did think about it. I really, And I still, to this day, remember the guy that was walking out with his box of belongings. And I remember, you know, he I was replacing him. I didn't realize I was, but I did. And I still have that in my head. And you never really want to replace anyone. You don't want to you don't want anyone to to fall. You want everyone to do well as long as you're doing well. So I'm here then I remember we're trying to develop those those same shows that I've had on on WJR and 1051 the Detroit Sports Station now as a you know, it's not sports anymore, and you get replaced that way. You know, when the, when the show's not going well, or if a company's getting sold, the station gets flipped over. It was a sports station, now it's a hip hop station. 
And it's a lot cheaper to run a hip-hop station than it is a sports station, because there's a lot less salaries. Sports is expensive. Yeah. It's, an expensive uh, it's an expensive game. And we're trying to develop it here at NRM. And we got Darren McCarty in the house now, my good buddy from the Red Wings. And I was lucky enough to meet him. Coming up at WJR, we were the Red Wings voice. So our studios at the Joe Louis Arena were literally across from here to that door where the Red Wings got dressed, their clubhouse. So that's how I got involved with all these guys. I was always the first guy in the locker room. I was always the first guy out on the ice with a microphone and became friends. And Darren's such a down-to-earth guy and comes here now. He's with NRM. He's going to give us some substance. He's going to... You need people like that. You need people like you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's the truth. It's well, a fact. You know, we're, we're, we're growing by leaps yeah. and bounds. And I'm a, it's an honor for me to come in here every every week and do the show. And and to have uh, you in here with me today, uh, I think a broadcast legend, to, be, to Thanks, sit man. down and shoot the breeze just like two normal people. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a huge part of the drop-in, is to let you guys know we're human. We're human. If you hear, if you've heard Tom for the last 20 years, he's a human being. You just heard how he got there, and you can comb NRM, and you're gonna see my show, Tom's show, and everybody else's show. McCarty coming in soon. That's that's uh, the growth, the brotherhood, the family that we're creating here, and and Tom and I are, are part of that yep. of the growth. And I want to thank you once again, oh, Tom. Thanks, we're gonna have to man. do another hour, man. Hey, anytime, anytime. Right. Yeah, I'd love to. You're welcome. Here on my show anytime, Appreciate brother man. It. Hey, back at you. Yeah, coming I'll be to the coming on three days a week. We're going to talk about Terry Sawchuck and Greg Steffen. Yes, but uh, <laughs> I want to thank you guys. You know, this show humanizes people. You get to see legends from all over the world and how they came up, putting their shoes on one shoe at a time and tying them exactly the way you do. We got to make life happen. I want to inspire you to make your life happen. Get off your damn couch and make the most of every minute you have. That is what the drop-in is. Thank you guys so much for being here this week. I am Gerald Valley, and this is the drop-in.